0: We are uh, in Matthew chapter 21 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17. And as we prepare that, I wanted to remind you of just the significance of Passover, as we are, uh, most of us, not of Jewish heritage and don't celebrate the feasts. Uh, Just to remember that Passover in Jerusalem was a huge time of the year where all sorts of pilgrims from all over Palestine and all over the world uh, came and descended upon that little city. The law stipulated that every adult male that was 15 years old or older, or actually everyone that was 12 or older, the the age of accountability, and who lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, had to come to Passover. And besides that, all of the Jews from all over the world were descending upon Jerusalem, as I said, for this greatest of their national feasts. There was a first century census that was conducted by a Roman governor that recorded that 250,000 lambs were slain on one particular Passover in Jerusalem. And there was a, uh, historians tell us that there was a Passover regulation that required a party of at least 10 people or more for each slain lamb. So you can do the math. That's somewhere around 2.5 million people in Jerusalem at Passover. Crazy. Crazy. And to put that in perspective, I got on Google this week and I was kind of playing with some facts and statistics. Uh, Jerusalem is 48 square miles. That's only one square mile larger than San Francisco. And yet we're talking three times the number of people of San Francisco. Just crazy. It was mayhem. Just all of these people descending upon this little city. And all of that to say that Jesus could not have chosen a more significant, powerful time to culminate his ministry by riding on the back of the donkey and the colt into Jerusalem and, and proclaiming the message that he proclaimed. The people's religious expectations were literally surging uh, as they received him and had just all of these expectations for him. And we're going to read about that Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 to 17. I'm going to try and bring in all the Gospels today, but this will be our text that we work from because there's so much in Matthew's account. Matthew 21, 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey there tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. So the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd's spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road and the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest when he had entered Jerusalem all the city was stirred saying who is this And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and they were healed. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus responded, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them... And went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Luke's account of this same Palm Sunday story tells us, chapter 19 of his gospel as soon as Jesus was approaching the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. John chapter 12 informs us that many of the same people that were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead were also part of this procession, part of this crowd, and they were yelling out their praise and adulation for him. Verse uh, verse 1 of our passage tells us that Jesus sent two disciples to get the donkey and the colt, and none of the Gospels really give us any specifics or more details about that, but Luke chapter 22, verse 8, tells us that later that week when Jesus sent two disciples to prepare for the Passover meal in the upper room, the guest chamber, that it was Peter and John. And most scholars believe that they are the same disciples that that Jesus now sent for the the donkey and the colt. Well, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem from Jericho, and there he has healed two blind men. Uh, He doesn't tell us their names but Mark tells us in his gospel that one of them is named Bartimaeus and he seems to be the more vocal of the two and it's it's interesting that Jericho is not really mentioned a whole lot in the New Testament but when we read about it in the Old Testament of course the Israelites were marching around it and blowing the horns and the walls tumbled down and you kind of have a sort of Allusion to that in the New Testament as they're marching and proceeding into Jerusalem and the temple veil ends up coming down and that open access to God is symbolized through all the events of the week. Well, Jesus' predictions about the interactions that the disciples will have with the owner of the cult play out just as he said and we don't have specifics on that as well, but the disciples end up putting their coats on the donkey and the colt and then the the crowd follows suit by laying their garments on the road and those who didn't have garments uh, were choosing to pull branches from the trees and John's gospel informs us that those were palm trees that they were laying on the ground. And so now ever since, we have called this Sunday Palm Sunday in memory of this event. Well, Jesus' triumphal entry doesn't occur on sunday if you read the gospels very closely but it's interesting that matthew seems to put it right on the heels of this entry that after he enters into jerusalem he cleanses the temple that's what i meant to say the cleansing of the temple doesn't happen on sunday it happens on monday and so you have to ask the question why does matthew seem to put it following the triumphal entry and we're going to talk about that in a little bit but At the end of our passage in verse 17, we read that Jesus went out of the city to Bethany. And in Mark's gospel, we read that at the end of the triumphal entry, because it was kind of late, he went into the temple, looked around, and then went to Bethany. John chapter 12 tells us that Martha prepared a meal for him. And then all of the gospels tell us that Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister, anoints his feet with a costly perfume. And we always assume that that happens at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but I believe it actually happens at the home of Simon the leper. And so you can read the Gospels and, and find out all about that. But what a powerful event that Mary is, is really dialed in. She's been sitting at the feet of Jesus throughout his ministry, really tuned in to him and listening. And perhaps out of most of the disciples, she's one of the only few that get that he's really going to the cross. And so while they're scolding her for wasting this costly perfume, Jesus says, leave her alone because she's done this uh, wisely, knowing that she's preparing me for my burial. So all of that's happening on Sunday. And then on on Monday, Jesus curses the fig tree and, and cleanses the temple. But A lot happening here, and I want to talk about the meaning and the symbolism that we see not only in our passage, but in all of the gospel accounts. And I see them in the form of challenges. There's really three challenges that I see in the Palm Sunday story, and there's an outline there for you to take notes if you want to follow along. But the first challenge that I see is that we need to respond to the message of Palm Sunday by preparing our hearts, by preparing our hearts. Listen to how Mark begins his gospel in the first chapter, beginning in verse 2. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah prophesied that God would one day send his messenger to prepare the way for us. And as we read the New Testament, we discover that that messenger turned out to be John the Baptist. That was his whole ministry, is preparing the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, his his earthly cousin. And in in verse 3, we really see a synopsis of John the Baptist's message. Make ready the way of the Lord. And I'm sure the people of the day ask, well, how do we do that? And today we might ask, well, how do we truly prepare and make ready the way of the Lord? In verse four, that passage immediately tells us, by preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We make ready the way of the Lord by preparing our hearts to receive his salvation. And we receive salvation through a confession and repentance. That's what the whole gospel message is about. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter five, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was not only John the Baptist's message, it was also Jesus's. A few chapters later in Luke 15, Jesus said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't think that they have any need of repentance. Time and time again, Jesus called people to repentance so that they could prepare to receive the salvation that God wanted for them. Luke comments on this same topic that Mark, that we just read in Mark, with these words in the opening verses of his gospel. Luke chapter 1, verse 17 says, It is he, meaning John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before him, meaning Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so as we try and make ourselves a people prepared for the Lord and for his work, We do that by preparing our hearts. We do that by seeking the forgiveness that he offers. And by confessing, which the Bible says is saying the same thing about our sin that God says. Seeing our sin as God sees it. And that's how we make ready for his salvation. Well, the second challenge that I think is in this text and in the Palm Sunday story is that we need to understand our need. We need to understand our need. Listen to how Luke records the triumphal entry in chapter 19. He says in verse 41 and 42, When Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Verse 10 of our passage says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the city was abuzz. It was stirring, saying, Who is this? And the crowds respond in verse 11 of our passage by saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. We see time and time again that the people were looking for a prophet. They were looking for a physical earthly deliverer. They were looking for a Messiah who would overturn the oppressive rule of the Romans and free them so they could be an independent nation again. But we also read in the Gospels that Jesus' ministry was not about physical deliverance. It was about salvation. It was about delivering us from sin. Because physical deliverance doesn't fit us for heaven. It doesn't prepare us to live eternally with God, with a holy and perfect God. I read this week someone who said that spiritual peace always trumps physical peace. And it seems that so many of us are constantly looking for physical deliverance throughout our life. There's always a crisis, there's always a trial that we're calling out to God saying, please get me out of this, please fix this, please deliver me from this, please heal this, please do this so that life can get back to normal. But life really never seems to get back to normal because there's always something. And Jesus' plan was never just about physical deliverance, but it was also the spiritual deliverance that he intended to bring. And Jesus never intended to just be a prophet. If he had only intended to be a prophet, he would have never had to go to the cross. He would have never had to die. But Scripture affirms that he is not only a prophet, but he is also the Most High Priest and the Most High King. He holds all three of those offices, prophet, priest, and king. Now we remember that Palm Sunday happened on Sunday, obviously, The day after Passover, Passover was Saturday, and they couldn't do any work. They could only rest and couldn't even prepare food on Saturday. And so Sunday was really the first day of Passover week. And it became known historically as Lamb Selection Day, because it was the first day that people were able to go and purchase a lamb for their Passover sacrifice. And so we see in Jesus' triumphal entry the symbolism of what he's doing. He's he's going into Jerusalem during this most busy time of the year where it's just masses of people and the, the crowds are kind of partying and they're going, who is this? And Jesus is saying, I am the Lamb of God. Choose me. As you are right now involved in preparing to select a lamb for Passover, I am that lamb. I am the once and for all sacrifice that never needs to be repeated. Choose me. That's exactly how John the Baptist announced Jesus when he met him for the first time. John was out in the wilderness and people were flocking out to hear him and he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And then one day John finally sees him and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the prophet, not behold the carpenter's son, but behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why I believe Matthew places the cleansing of the temple right on the heels of the triumphal entry. How appropriate that the Lamb of God should go into the temple of God on Passover week. How appropriate that God's once and for all sacrifice should drive out the money changers and the sellers and the buyers from the temple should cleanse the temple because sacrifices would soon no longer be needed we we never really think much about that but you know what a powerful way for jesus to declare that he's the lamb of god the once and for all sacrifice then when he's dying on the cross there's a violent earthquake that even historians record for us and it ripped the veil on the temple in two, which divided the outer court from the inner court, where only the high priest could go. And the temple pretty much was demolished because of this violent earthquake. People were no longer able to physically go and make sacrifices after the crucifixion. God saw to that, and what a way to reinforce that this is no longer needed. This was the old way, and it only covered your sin. But the death of my son, my one and only begotten son, takes away your sin once and for all. And that's what Jesus was proclaiming in going in. I think additionally, Jesus is communicating that forgiveness is a gift. It can't be bought. And I think that's why he drives out both the the sellers of the merchandise as well as the buyers. Like, no, no more. We're done with this. My Father's house is a place of prayer, not a place of commerce. And you don't need to buy your your salvation. You don't need to buy your sacrifice because God is providing it for free. What a beautiful way that Jesus announces that people now have direct access to God through Him. And how beautifully that's displayed in verse 14 of our text. Look at what Uh, Matthew records for us. He says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. My guess is that Bartimaeus and his friend went out and even though Jesus said, don't talk to anybody, they went out and they told everybody. And all of the the beggars and the lame and the blind were coming either on their own or with assistance and they're flooding the temple. All of those who formerly had no access to now have access. All of those who formerly had no physical ability to draw near to God, no money to buy sacrifices, now receive access through Jesus. And Jesus drives out everyone out of the temple except for them. And what a, what a perfect picture how God never turned away anyone who, who truly sought him, genuinely sought him. We see the heart of God in Jesus' actions here. Well, the final challenge that I see within our passage is not just preparing our hearts and not just understanding our need, but recognizing our time. Recognizing our time. Jesus says in in Luke's account of the triumphal entry in, in Luke 19, you know, how often Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he weeps over the city, he says, how often I wanted to gather you into my arms the way that a mother hen would gather her chicks. But, but you were unwilling. You would have no part of that. And so now the reality and the truth of who I am has been kept from your eyes. And your enemies are going to come in and they're going to destroy you and turn your city upside down because you failed to recognize the time of your visitation. You failed to recognize the time of your visitation You failed to recognize that God took on human flesh and pitched tent, dwelt among you. And you missed it. You missed it. And so now it's going to be kept from you. And that's why Scripture says repeatedly, Old Testament and New, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away. Don't, Don't think, oh, I've got my whole life to respond to the truth of what God is impressing upon my heart, the truth that God's convicting me with right now. I've got a long time to make things right with God. No, Scripture says you don't. Your life is like a vapor. You could be gone tomorrow. You know, life situations change so quickly. And as you've heard about me talk about my parents and my in-laws, things change in a heartbeat. And we have no idea what tomorrow holds. Today Is the day if God speaks to you, if he touches your heart, if he impresses certain truths upon you from his word, now is the time to respond. And that's what Scripture says. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the first day of Passover week, on Lamb Selection Day. He enters through the eastern gate, which is known as the Golden Gate. And there's a picture of it here. I want to share with you. I, I got to see it for the first time in 2012 when I went. There was a prediction in the prophet that I'm going to read to you that this gate, after he entered, would would be shut, and no one would ever enter that gate again until he came back in his second coming. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesies about Ezekiel 44. He says, then he brought me back the way of the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces the east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate will remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one will enter by it, for the Lord God of Israel has entered it, therefore it will not be opened. That gate in front, you can see the the cement, the bricks, the stones, in front of it, those are Muslim tombs. And the Muslims thought, if we put our tombs there, no Jew will ever go, go near that. The, the funny thing that um, I learned in 2012, or the, the, the exciting thing, I, I got to go on the trip. Our, our lead guide was Dr. Robert Mullins, who's an Old Testament expert from Azusa Pacific. And he also is an archaeologist who lived in Israel for 20 years. And he said, the real gate is underground. It's buried over you know, as, as things just mound up in Israel over time, the real gate is, so this one's sealed, but the real sealed gate is underground. And listen to what Zechariah says in his prophecy in verse chapter 14, verses one to four. He says, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken from you and will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of the Temple Mount, east of this wall I just showed you, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north, and half toward the south. How exciting that in prophecy we see that God, what God is going to do. I believe, you know, as a kid I always thought, oh, how I would have loved to be part of that first triumphal entry. Well, Scripture predicts that one day as Christians we will be part of the final triumphal entry, that Christ will appear in the sky, we will rise to meet him in the air as he descends to earth to set up his millennial kingdom, his thousand-year rule. And he will stand on the Mount of Olives and all of the saints, all of God's elect will stand with him and the earth will literally split. And I've always wondered why, but it finally makes sense because that original gate is underground and it's sealed and it will be blown open and we will march into the new Jerusalem and and reign with him. And what an exciting thing to look forward to. And with that in mind, I want to read you in closing the words of Ezekiel's vision. It's found in Ezekiel 43 the beginning verses, if you want to read it later. Ezekiel writes this, chapter 43, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shook and shone with his glory. And the glory of the Lord came into the house, the temple, by way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. Think about the symbolism there. Only previously the high priest could go into the inner court. And now through Jesus Christ, our high priest, we are now lifted up and have access to the inner court. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And then I heard one speaking to me from the house. While a man was standing beside me, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings. Let's pray.